the idea behind having farmers on the board is really about, you know, leadership and change, but it also brings its life for every employee. I mean, it makes it very, a very visible statement. We have a number of structures and, and ways of, of making sure that the organization can't stray from its purpose. I think that matters hugely. So I think it's very important to identify the right purpose that you believe in and that fits with your business, then lock it in and then make it kind of visible because you can be accountable for it as well and make sure that you stick to it. Hello and welcome to the Leader Insights series, the platform designed to uncover the secrets to career and business success and gain real insight from inspirational figures across the food and drink industry. I'm your host, Jonathan O'Hagan, and my special guest today is John Steele. Now, for the past nine years, John has been the CEO for Cafe Direct, one of the founding businesses of the fair trade movement and the UK's very first B Corp certified coffee company. As a pioneer in the purpose-driven business movement, both John and Cafe Direct are passionate about supporting people right at the beginning of the supply chain. In collaboration with the award-winning Producers Direct charity, they help to transform the lives of smallholder farmers by working with them to develop their farms, often small and family-run, into sustainable and profitable enterprises. John's work history spans over 25 years, and his CV is like a who's who of well-known FMCG businesses, including Nestle, Weetabix, Premier Foods, Marsdens, and Cornish Sea Salt. John, it's an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm very well, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. Good, good. Well, listen, thank you for investing the time, John. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting about Cafe Direct and all the great work you do, learning more about the business and sharing the great story with listeners. But but listen, first, if I may, let's shine the spotlight on you, John, if that's okay. I mean, as I mentioned in the intro, your career spans almost three decades. If that doesn't make me uh, sound like I'm aging you <laughs> too much, John. I, I feel quite vintage now, John, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been very successful so I'm, I'm keen to know what what first attracted you to the food and drink industry and more importantly I guess what's kept you in the industry all these years going into food and drink I mean when I was a, a child I I guess my mom's parents yeah, there, there were dentists dentistry was running through most of the family but my my dad was in food and drink so he worked in the food industry and my mom was very into into nutrition and health so I think really it was I was surrounded by food and drink from a very early age, so it just seemed to be the thing I was going to do. And it was really a question of how to do it rather than whether to do it. So no, it, was always, it always just seemed to be the thing I was going to do. I think your second question is really interesting is, you know, what's kept you in it? And what's kept me in it is actually going out of it. So I moved out of food and drink for four years in 2004 when I did a tech startup. It was, it was an amazing experience, but it also made me realize how much I love and feel at ease in the food and drink industry. So, in effect, having a little dalliance outside of food and drink made you realize how much you love it and how much you, you work so well within it. Yeah, it's fascinating, actually, John, because it's something I often raise with people when we talk about, you know, what does the right job look like? And often people find the answer to that by doing 
the wrong job, <laughs> you know, having a role where actually it isn't quite in line with what they're passionate about. And sometimes you just don't know that until you make that move. So yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. And I don't know how much you've reflected, John, on your career, but what do you believe have been the key traits, attributes behind your success to date then? I mean, it's these more personal questions are much more challenging than the ones you can ask about. If you look back on it, I'm pretty determined and incredibly optimistic. I, mean, I think I always believe we can be successful as organizations and as people. I've got relentless kind of optimism about me and a real kind of energy and determination. And I think it, it's those kind of traits that keep you going kind of through thick and thin. And I think I've always believed that it's about learning and contributing and so you know that makes it really enjoyable all the time because you're always facing into issues and solving them and deciding things so i think it's a determination and energy really somebody said i have a a zest for life is one of my key attributes which yeah, let's keep that going for as long as we can. Eh? Yeah, well, it's infectious, isn't it, John? I guess as a business leader, these sort of things rub off on people, don't they? And actually, you mentioned about learning and, you know, a big word at the moment is about curiosity, isn't it? As a leader, always being curious, which I think is is such a valuable trait to have. So, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, wouldn't it be awful if you if you worked for 30 years and you weren't interested or you weren't curious or you weren't? passionate about what you did and so we are we are fortunate to to have that whether it's what we found or the way we choose to do things it's probably a bit of both isn't it so yeah and you mentioned optimism there john i, I guess that's been tested more than ever in the last 12 months so how's how's covid impacted you the business and the team it was slightly unexpected it's been a bit of a surprise i think yeah business is good i think the team have been incredible in their ability to perform brilliantly in quite challenging circumstances, really. We we started on the 17th of March, 2020. We closed the office and went remote and made sure we looked after our people so that they could you know, start remotely straight away. And yeah, no, the business has been, we performed really well. And our business in cafes and venues has been decimated, but our business in grocery, we've managed that very well and worked very closely with our customers to make that opportunity offset the loss, really. It's been a really good performance from the business and an incredible performance from the team. You know, that aside, and I'm sure we'll come back to it, it's quite clear that you know, th these kind of significant changes do test the mental health of everybody. So you know, we've certainly worked very hard to look after our people. And you know, the people have been absolutely amazing. But you know, also, people have had difficult times. I mean, if you think about parents of you know, small children homeschooling and both working or one on further, one on working or whatever. It's been quite a change for people, but I do think everybody's faced into it brilliantly well and, you know, everybody's done well. I think somebody was reflecting that I said at the beginning that we'd make sure Cafe Direct was a bubble of certainty in an uncertain world. And it's certainly been that we've all looked after each other as, you know, a group of 31 people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I, I am that person you described there, John, two young children at home. And yeah, at times you think, wow, life used to, well, life seemed so much simpler, didn't it, before COVID and the challenges that you know we've all had to juggle in some shape or form. So speaking of Cafe Direct, let's get on to the business, which is, I know, a fascinating organisation. But for the uninitiated, John, if you will, give us a, an introduction to Cafe Direct, the history, the background, how it started. 
Yeah, you have to stop me at some point because I might go on a bit. But Cafe Direct is quite a one, wonderful place, really, because it's got real purpose and the purpose started from the way it was formed. And Cafe Direct was formed 30 years ago in, in 1991. And it wasn't formed as a business to make money. It was really a collaboration between four charities in the UK and three farming cooperatives, so three organisations that represented smallholder farmers. And the price of coffee had collapsed after America came out of an international uh, coffee agreement. And so these charities and these farmers were, were working directly together to make sure farmers got properly paid. And it was really a you know, social justice intervention, really. But from that, the coffee sold well in church halls and community centres and then became a business and a brand and moved into the co-op in 1992 and, and continued. But it's always because of the DNA and the way it's structured, it's always um, been very mission-based, always really about improving the livelihoods of smallholder farmers and the environments they, they live in. So it yeah, really is a really genuine purpose-driven business. You see a lot of businesses now trying to backfill or add in purpose. And I think we're very fortunate to have it from the, the moment the business was born. And then it's structured so well in terms of governance and the way we manage purpose that it's very visible, uh, very measurable. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, John. I, I do recognise some businesses almost retrofitting purpose, trying to find purpose to put back in. Whereas you guys, from my understanding, John, you've always kept focus on your roots, why the business was there. Uh, my understanding as well is, I think, in terms of the board, you've actually got two farmers on the board. Is that right? So did, I, I guess that sort of thing helps keep the purpose, the very meaning, the mission, as you say, at the heart of everything you do. Yeah, I think you know we want to have farmers as leaders in the business, not as being seen as the, the, the poor, impoverished beneficiaries at the end of some convoluted value chain. So we embrace smallholder farmers in many ways. One of them, the example you had there, Jonathan, you know, we have two farmers on the board of directors who in pre-COVID times would come to London and, you know, be present live in board meetings and available to us all the time. I mean, now we spend a lot of time with them on Zoom and they're, they're there to make a genuine contribution to the delivery of the purpose of the business, but they're also there really to learn and then go back to those communities with the experience they gain from being part of a fast-moving consumer goods business. Also, the, the smallholder farmers, they, they own a share in the business. Um, we have bought from our partners you know, tea and coffee and cocoa since the moment we started. So we, we have long-term partnerships. We don't, I, I can remember working in organizations where procurement is really about trading and buying and making sure you, you, you maintain your quality and reduce your costs. Here, you know, our mission is to make sure we pay our suppliers brilliantly well and then work closely with them to help them improve their businesses. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting, John. I wonder how many organisations around the world actually have their very first link in the supply chain, you know, their suppliers as part of their board. I can't think of many. Probably not enough, hopefully more than they used to be. Yeah, yeah. And as I mentioned in the intro, you guys were, if I get this right, you guys were the first B Corp certified coffee company in the UK, I believe. So I'm fascinated by the whole B Corp movement. It was B Corp month, I believe, last month as well. And it's really gaining momentum. Would you mind talking us through the journey you guys have been on to achieve the B Corp certification? Because it's not an easy one from my understanding. 
Yeah, I think the place probably to start is to go back to joining Fair Trade, which Cafe Direct was one of the founding brands that started the Fair Trade movement in 1994. And that movement really did drive a huge amount of change in value chains. And it was a really good movement in terms of grassroots in the UK as well. And I think that experience probably both put us off and put us on B Corp in a way. Because I think when B Corp first came to the UK in late 2015, I think as an organization, we, we didn't feel like joining another movement at the time. And we concluded to, to wait. So that's what made our journey in joining a little bit slower. And I can remember the discussions at the time. I think some people felt that B Corps, although it's a very holistic certification, they felt it, so it, it didn't have some of the standards that we'd look for. Then fast forward to 2018 and we joined. And I think I was determined that we should join because I think it's a really exciting and modernizing movement. So in terms of making sure that purpose is an attractive proposition and that treating it seriously is open to everybody, B Corps does a brilliant job of that. It open source, so anybody can look at how they're performing as an organization before joining. And it's also open for all kinds of organizations. You know, there, there are banks, there are marketing agencies, recruitment companies, uh, and so on and so forth. So I was really keen that we join because I think it's, it's a great modernizer and it's very holistic. And, you know, good business is more than just value chain. It's you know, also about all, all kinds of other aspects of the way you work with your employees and your customers and your environment. So, so it took us longer to join because we weren't sure in the beginning, because we were already part of, of fair trade and a number of other, of other things. I think actually gaining certification, we did that very, very rapidly in the end, because we were very determined to turn it around in a few weeks. And so we did that in June 2018. And it is a very comprehensive certification, but we're fortunate to, enough to have an employee who really lived and breathed it. So Katrina, who works for me, really did grab it by the scruff of the neck and, and force the organization through it very rapidly. What is amazing about B Corps, in my view, is it's got a really good sense of community. So there's some really good businesses there. And we're not there to go, we're a better business than you or to look at scores. We're all just there to you know, benefit each other and move forward together. So everybody's in a different place. It's, so that's quite good. It sort of suspends judgment. I think the most... Two most powerful things for us has been also it's really shone a light on where we're good and also where we're bad. So it's made us think about where we need to improve. But it's also made us recognize the bits that are good. So it's quite a good leveler and it, it definitely appeals to employees. And I think employees see it as a very uh, progressive way of running a business. So no, it's, it's been a good journey, but it, was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as quick as I'd liked it in the end. No. Well, I've heard, John, it's quite a rigorous process and, and one that is worth going through to get there. And it's like you say, it's a growing community. I believe just last week, BrewDog acquired their status certification. And yeah, I was going to ask you about the community. I, I guess you've touched upon it there around, you know, it highlights how you can still improve further, which I, I think sounds fantastic, really. And also you do get to meet some Extraordinary organizations. I mean, I think um, Tony Chocoloni from Holland, which is a, you know, it's a fair trade organization, but it's also a B Corps. We met them primarily through the B Corps movement. And then it certainly helped us to 
be closer to people like Innocent, who uh, became a B Corps in the same week as we did as well. Oh, really? And you touched upon it's great for employees as well, John. I was going to ask you, you know, in, in my world of talent attraction, helping businesses thrive through people, I, I recognize it. It really must be a, an advantage to have a business model built around purpose. But yeah, g- give us your thoughts. Is, have you seen that as a direct benefit, people joining or wanting to join your business because of the purpose-driven culture that clearly you guys stand for? Uh, it sounds like a leading question. The answer's resounding. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been doing this for nearly nine years. I don't don't think you can do it with. I don't think you can do business without it anymore. I mean, I, I think people love working at Cafe Direct because, I mean, yeah, co- coffee and tea and cocoa. You know, they're great social products, and they've also got a clear line of sight back to, you know, where they came from. And then to be able to actually bring that to life in the the mission of the organisation and the framework in which you operate. I mean, you know, employees get a chance to talk to farmers from, in, in, at the moment, because the director's from Tanzania and Peru, Tanzania and Peru every quarter for a board meeting and, you know, to socialise with them. And we ensure that all the employees get to go to Origin to see the communities they're influencing and really touch the work that's been done. And that's uh, incredibly kind of game-changing for people. I think, you know, it's, I find it's, hard to understand why you would just have a business that makes money when a business can make so much more yeah yeah well it's creating value in other ways isn't it john i suppose and i know there's an awful lot of talk around this at the moment you know purpose-driven businesses where you can balance profit and people and that's why b corp i think is getting so much attention at the moment and quite rightly so and and in my world john i mean it's inspiring when we talk about millennials and gen z they're very discerning now over who they want to work for and why. Often it's not about salary or the big job title. It's about meaning and purpose. People want to talk about their work to their friends and brag about, you know, the difference it makes. And it's great. It really isn't. Yeah, I think where you guys have been on this journey for a long time, but certainly there's a lot of businesses really engaging in this to make sure they can attract today's talent, tomorrow's talent for for, for the right reason, but balancing profit and, and and people it's important isn't it yeah i think also you know, businesses that have purpose probably have a better culture you know, that they're, they're there because they care about some greater meaning than just making money out of leveraging assets and resources and so on and so i think also they're probably better places to work because you know the the culture i think tends to be more trusting and respectful because your, your purpose is to actually improve livelihoods and to you know help combat things like climate change. And so that, I think, then flows into your culture. And as long as you then have a, a quite trustworthy, open and empowering culture, the two combine very, very powerfully, I think. So. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There's research now, isn't there, John, that can demonstrate that having a purpose-led mission-driven business is is better for business from a financial performance. It's not one at the consequence of the other. The two can combine. You only need to look as far as places like Unilever, for example, and Lifebuoy, and actually the numbers they generate, fantastic. And yeah, it's really good to see some of the data, the the numbers coming through, the research that shows actually you can, you can have both and you should have both. If we're going to tackle these bigger societal issues, political, environmental, businesses have got to get on board not just individuals really 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. Now, before I go to my next question, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Obvious Candidate. Obvious Candidate was founded by Sam Waterfall, aka London's Global Career Coach. And I'm delighted to collaborate with Sam as he has a truly unique approach to helping you get the job you really want. Having begun his own career in brand management at Procter & Gamble, Sam understands marketing. And he's the only career coach I ever recommend. Why? Well, simply because he gets results. As the founder of Obvious Candidate, Sam has 18 years experience in helping people to position themselves as the number one obvious candidate, head and shoulders above the competition. He successfully worked with people who've gone on to land jobs with the International Olympic Committee, the World Economic Forum, Nike, Amazon, Virgin, Red Bull Racing, Rolls-Royce, to name just a few. Essentially, if your job search is taking too long or you're struggling to get the job offers you really want, then Sam is your man. Now, Sam and I have put together an exclusive offer for you, the listeners, where he's prepared to offer you for free a video introduction to his amazing precision networking method. And he'll also give you, again, for free, a copy of his Dream 30 networking tracker. This helps you to organize, structure, and guide your approach to effective networking. I've seen it, it's superb, and it is a proven strategy that gets results. To reach out to Sam and take advantage, simply go to www.obviouscandidate.com forward slash leader. Do it today. You won't regret it. Your next big job is waiting for you. I wanted to touch upon Producers Direct, John, because it, it sounds fascinating. I believe... Am I right in saying 50% of the profits from Cafe Director invested into Producers Direct? And if so, what does it mean in terms of what do they do? What effect do they have in terms of these farmers, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a bit about that? Yeah, we've sort of quoted this 50% number. I think I'm not, I'm not as keen on quoting the numbers as, as I used to be. It's well ahead of 50%, but we use that because it's quite a tension-grabbing kind of number. Um, certainly, we have supported Producers Direct since we helped found it in 2009. Before then, all the work we did at Origin, as we call it with our farmers, was very much with each individual cooperative. And we set up Producers Direct in 2009, I guess for two reasons. One is that it creates an organisation that's run by farmers for the benefit of farmers. And most charities tend to be, you know, run from the north for the benefit of the south, for example. But Producers Direct was very much set up philosophically to be, you know, farmer-led, so you really understand the issues you're addressing and you're immediately connecting with, with the farming communities you're serving. And then the other benefit of setting up a standalone charity is we can bring other donors on the, the journey with us. So people like um, the Gates Foundation, uh, Nominate Trust, Google, other organisations that have an interest in value chains and a desire to tackle some of the fundamental societal and environmental and financial issues can come on board and, and support it as well. So over the 12 years it's been running, every, every time we've reinvested money, the, the charity's probably benefited fivefold from other donors. So it kind of is really good kind of bang for your buck as well. Yeah, almost self-fulfilling, I guess. But yeah, and these farmers, John, they live in obviously different parts of the world, but they, in terms of the impact you guys have on their lives, am I right in thinking there's, I don't know what you call them, are they learning hubs? There's there's hubs where they can share best practice with other other communities, is that right? 
Yeah, the, the the model that producers direct uses has centres of excellence, as they call them. That's that's the phrase I was looking for, John. <laughs> and they're very much kind of exemplar farms in certain aspects of business. So one I went to a couple of years ago was very much about diversifying away from the core crop. So it was a coffee farm, but it also had vegetables and fish and other other aspects to it. It was making it a sustainable business rather than just a, a coffee farm. So that that farm, other farms would come and hear from the the mom and dad who ran the farm how they changed their farm from being, you know, kind of just a monocrop to being a sustainable entrepreneurial enterprise. And then there's, there are other ones in climate change, in empowering youth and women. And, and so the sense of excellence have a theme and then they're very much used to help people learn on the ground. And I mean, it, it's really wonderfully exciting because you're giving the power to the farmers to show other farmers how it's done, aren't you, really? So it's much better than some large charity throwing a large, large amount of cash at the problem and saying, Grow, you know, plant some trees. It's really providing the wherewithal that will create lasting change i guess yeah it sounds fascinating john it well it, it reminds me of that old adage you want to feed a family for a day give them a fish <laughs> actually feed them for a lifetime teach them how to fish type thing it sounds like it's very much around education and therefore the amount of lives you will impact is far greater sounds fantastic yeah no i mean it's, it's a really wonderful and genuine way of approaching making change. Yeah, it's great. Mm. And what advice would you give John to aspiring leaders, entrepreneurs about how they can, I suppose, harness the benefits of purpose-driven business? Clearly, I can tell just through how you're talking, John, this is this is part of your DNA. It's who you are as a leader. But yeah, thinking about entrepreneurs, aspiring leaders of tomorrow, what advice would you give them about the benefits it can bring and, and why it's so important to, to have this purpose-driven focus to, to, to business rather than just purely about the financials? Yeah, as you say, I can tell I'm a believer. I think my, my advice would be that, you know, you need to have a genuine kind of meaningful and relevant purpose. And I think when you, when you establish what that is, it helps if it's from the way the business is born. But if you, when you've established what that is, I think it's very important to lock it in. So if you go and look at our articles of association, it's very explicit about how we need to reinvest money with smallholder farmers, how we need to work with them. It's explicit about the number of directors that have to be from the farming communities. So I think it's very important not only to be clear on what the right purpose is, but also to lock it in. And I think then bring it to life in the organization. And the idea behind having farmers on the board is really about, you know, leadership and change, but it also brings its life for every employee. I mean, it makes it very, a very visible statement. We have a number of structures and, and ways of, of making sure that the organization can't stray from its purpose. I think that matters hugely. So I think it's very important to, you know, identify the right purpose that you believe in and that fits with your business, then lock it in and then make it kind of visible because you can be accountable for it as well and make sure that you stick to it. Yeah, it's interesting, John. That, I believe it's two, two episodes ago, I had a fascinating interview with a chap called Mark Cox, who is an expert when it comes to this sort of stuff, developing cultures, identity. And he references a lot of the failures we've seen on the high street from retailers and stuff. It's about them forgetting their roots, where they've come from. And that it's understandable how it happens as businesses progress year on year, decade on decade, change hands, those initial reasons of why businesses were set up 
were lost. So yeah, you make a a really good point. And I'm I'm reading a fascinating book at the minute, John, uh, called Powered by Purpose by Sarah uh, Rosenthal. Her name is. I can see it behind you. Yeah. yeah. A shout out to Sarah, who's fantastic, by the way. But in her book, she references, I think, some research by PwC that says 50% of CEOs can't translate purpose into measurable, actionable behaviours. They they struggle to do that. So I guess, I guess that brings me on to leadership, John, which I'm keen to pick your brains on, if I may. I mean, in your opinion, when we talk about good leadership, yeah, what does it look like for you? What are the traits, attributes? What's what sort of always stood you in good stead as a good leader? It's back to those more difficult questions, isn't it, really? I was enjoying talking about Cafe Great. <laughs> You're not going to get away lightly here, John. <laughs> I've always felt, you know, you should lead from the front. So I, I, although I'm quite consultative in the way I work with my team, I'm also, you know, always prepared to go and, you know, lead from the front and, go and be with customers, go and be very visible. I think being who, who you are, not trying to be somebody else is a helpful thing. I think you need to be comfortable in your, in your own skin. Mm, authentic. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, you're, you're using much better words than I am. I think, you know, I think you need to be yourself, don't you? I think there's been certainly over the 30 years I've been working, there's definitely been schools of thought about training you to, to, to be different and to act in a certain way. And certain company cultures are very much wanted to clone people. I would be very much from the the school of thought that says, you know, you want a diverse community of people who care and who are determined to do the best they can every day. And then you help them to do that by trusting them and giving them the tools to do the job and looking after them, crudely speaking. No, I think that's really well said, John. To summarise it, I think that's really well said, actually. And it sounds so simple in theory, doesn't it? But as we know, it's difficult when... Clearly, if you're in an organisation where you've got to satisfy shareholders, etc., it's sometimes challenging. But do you, do you think good leadership's changed in recent years, John? I mean, clearly with the pandemic, there's, I think, as you said at the beginning, there's been a heightened awareness around mental health and well-being. But yeah, for you, has good leadership shifted in the last couple of years? It feels that way. I mean, I am operating in a purpose-led business and the environment I'm in determines how I see it to an extent. But I, I do think... During the pandemic, there's been a real shift. There have been some things that have accelerated. E-commerce has accelerated, hasn't it, phenomenally. And I think the importance of mental health has you know, really accelerated. And certainly I've seen more people-focused leadership become important. And I've been on a number of calls and discussions where it's about kindness, not only for your people, but for yourself too. So, so some of these more human aspects have come through. I certainly, you know, through the lockdowns, I've tried to make time to ring every employee very, very regularly just to talk to them, just to chat and just to listen. And mm. I found a number of other leaders doing the same thing and either in, in larger organizations with thousands of employees, just trying to write a note of thanks uh, and personalize something to 50 employees a week. It get, gets you through two and a half thousand employees a year, doesn't it? And for me, I'm fortunate enough to only have 31 employees so I can get around them quite regularly. And I've I've encouraged everybody just to actually pick up the phone and have yeah. 15 minutes of what we've called coffee roulette, where you just randomly pick up on somebody that you don't see. Because if you think about it, the person who, who, who works on reception or yeah. the person who does a certain job that's very office-based, you don't bump into them anymore. So I've really encouraged everybody to purpose, you know, purposely 
make time for each other because I think otherwise you are missing out on something. And I think that's just helped business to be a bit kinder. So yeah and coming back to your point I, I guess it's helped build trust john because these aren't things that you would have ordinarily done perhaps if it wasn't for the fact that we're all working a bit more remotely and all that sort of stuff so as they say trust is an output of the behavior you put in but i'm interested uh, you mentioned about a few what i call unexpected positives out of the the pandemic i, I wonder are there any others that you will embrace john like for example the the flexible working models a lot of businesses are now adopting the flexibility around where people work and that sort of stuff are there there any other unexpected positives you'll take away from this turbulent kind of 12 months that we've all been through yeah i mean certainly going straight back to your point on trust and we're a very trusting organization and that has paid back so well during the pandemic people have been absolutely brilliant and I think I listened to the discussion on whether people should go back to the office or whether they should work from home and quite clearly the only answer is you need to have a culture that trusts your employees and environment that enables them to flourish and if you're forcing them to work from home or forcing them to work from the office you may have missed the point yeah well said yeah for me personally I cafe direct is a flexible employer and I was working from home probably one day a week pre pandemic but I have a four-hour commute every day and having worked from home now for a year it's quite clear that to make that four-hour commute you need to have a very collaborative and creative and clear purpose for the work in the day I've occasionally gone into London during the breaks between lockdown and it's been fabulous to see people but it's been most rewarding when you clearly need to be in a room to really deal with some issues that were harder to deal with this kind of technology that we're using today. You, you look back and you think, wow, how did we do that commuting in that way? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's been really, it's been a really good experience to have a very significant shift in the way of working and it hopefully it will bring great benefit. I mean, it certainly helped us to focus on the mental health of our employees and looking after people more. So. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And coming back to Cafe Direct for a moment, what what does the future hold then, John? I mean, I I, I don't ask more than three, five years in advance because we don't quite know what's around the corner at the moment. But yeah, what does the future hold in in your eyes for Cafe Direct? We need to keep kind of banging the drum is the wrong phrase. I think we need to keep being part of movements like B Corps and continue to influence the way business is done and show that it can be successful by focusing on improving livelihoods and tackling climate change. I think we need to step up our influence effectively. To do that, I think we probably need to keep stepping up our growth. So we've been growing consistently now for nearly four years and you know, sort of 17 or 18 quarters of continuous growth and accelerating growth. And I think because a lot of people see business through a, a commercial lens, we, we, we need to continue to grow and be a really successful business commercially as well as through our impact program. So I think you know, we want to grow and become a much bigger business. And I think that combination of growth, sharing our business model, sticking to our purpose, hopefully becomes a virtuous circle that then leads to more ambassadors believing in what we do, whether that be drinkers of coffee or recruitment firms helping to find people the right home or investment banks or customers 
I think the future is incredible for any business that's got purpose. And I think the B Corp movement, yeah, it's only just begun in the UK, really, but it's done so brilliantly in, in six years. And as you say, the, the names of the organisations that are choosing to join and choosing to say business must be done differently has become quite incredible, hasn't it? It has, it has. And, and I've had contact with a few businesses, John, who have got the B Corp status. And the thing that strikes me quite often is they're invariably, they're quite humble. You know, they're quite humble. Um, like you say, there's a story to share. They're very proud of that story and that they're wanting to share it more and more to make impact. It's not about necessarily turning over profit for profit. Say there's a much bigger element to it and the sharing of best practice that you mentioned is fascinating. I think, you know, it sounds like you've learned as much from being part of the community as people will probably learn from you, John, I guess. Cafe Directs has always been a very humble organisation and we've always believed that we want to run our business according to our model and in line with our purpose. But we've probably not gone out and marketed it as much as we should do. And I think we're learning that actually it's a story worth telling and, and it's important to get out there and help people to see the way things are done and help people to think about how we can all do things differently and better. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a story worth telling. And John, if you'd allow me, I've got two more questions shining the spotlight back on you now <laughs> for a moment. First of all, what's your inspiration? What's your why? What drives you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? I, I always want to learn, I guess. A, a wonderful man who you know, works in advertising who I haven't seen for many, many years. And because I emailed him back at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, he knew I still get up ridiculously early, but I just want to get up there and, and make a difference each day. And so I think I'm trying to do my best, mainly help others. I think that's the, the why. I think I'm, I'm there to help others. So, you know, when I go to, to, to work, I'm not there for myself. I'm there to help 31 people do brilliantly. And through that, the business will do well and I'll be okay. Yeah, brilliant. No, I think that's really well said. And then finally, John, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self in terms of career advice? I think that's, that's quite a difficult question, really, because... Drink more coffee? Well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> yeah, when you find somewhere that's got the right fit with your values and has a purpose, the, the, that kind of cultural fit and that meaning makes the work so much more pleasurable, no, no matter what you face, whether you face a pandemic or any other kind of crisis. So I think if I was giving advice to my younger self, I would be saying to think about the cultural fit and the purpose of an organisation. Having said that, the reason I say it's quite a difficult question to answer is we all take our time to find those things, don't we? And it's probably the things we've done that help us find them. So, you know, I've worked for a you know, wonderful family business in Weetabix that was run by Richard George, an incredibly sophisticated, world-class intellectual powerhouse that Nestle is, a wonderful, you know, mid-cap brewer as it was with Marston's and its pub estates and its kind of heritage, incredibly fast venture capital run businesses like Premier Foods, and then, you know, the startup Cornish Sea Salt, which is starting from nothing. And uh, without those experiences, perhaps you don't find the fit. But certainly the, the sooner you can find that place, the more you'll grow and learn and have a delightful day at work. Absolutely. I think even if you're, even if you're not working in an organisation that's got the perfect fit, if you do act with authenticity and with dignity and grace, so you'll, you'll be fine always. So. Yeah, I think that's really sage advice, John. And it's very tricky because, you know, 
we all remember being early in our career and and actually money is very important at that stage, isn't it? It's very easy to talk about how money's not important when your mortgage is paid off and you've got money in the bank. But actually, when you're coming out of uni with a lot of debt, actually salaries are important. But I think it's really sage advice. And as I said earlier, I'm hearing it more consistently from people around how important this stuff is. Because as I say to a lot of people I deal with, if I can help people step into roles as their true authentic self, that means they're going to be happy. And as we know, happy people typically perform better. So sage advice from you, John. Yeah, brilliant. Well, John, thank you so much. Our time is is up, so to speak. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think there's an awful lot in there for people in terms of advice and fascinating to understand the story behind Cafe Direct a little bit more. We we could probably do a part two, John, because I know there's a lot more about the business we could share. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing. I wish you all the very best for the years ahead and, and let's keep in touch. No, well, thank you for inviting me. And it's it's wonderful just to think about these things together and um, by doing a podcast, provide a way of sharing them more broadly. So no, thanks for your time, John. Brilliant. Thanks, John. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found this episode valuable. Don't forget to subscribe so you get notified about all future episodes. I'm working really hard to keep bringing you inspirational leaders from the food and drink industry that we can all learn from. And if you're feeling generous, please drop us a review. It really helps spread the podcast far and wide. And finally, as you've probably noticed, my passion is to help businesses thrive through the power of people. Like the very best leaders of today, I understand how creating purpose-led cultures with high levels of trust and employee engagement leads to successful financial performance. Back in 2011, I founded Leader Executive to help companies outperform the market by focusing on the human element of their business, their people. As a well-respected talent solutions partner, we collaborate with food and drink businesses across our four business pillars, design, hire, develop, inspire. To find out more about how we can help you outperform your competition by focusing on the human element of your business, then reach out to me on john at leaderexecutivesearch.com. I'd be delighted to hear from you. Until next time on the Leader Insight Series podcast, take care.